At La Mesa RV, we love helping people discover new adventures in a Storyteller Overland. We offer the entire line of Storyteller Overland bands, classic, stealth, or beast. If you can't wait to get your hands on a Storyteller, give us a call at 800-496-8778 or check us out at LaMesaRV.com. We'll be glad to help get your name on a factory fresh unit. With nine stores across the country, La Mesa RV is a proud Storyteller Overland dealer where we help you find the adventure in life. Welcome to another episode of Stone Nation, a production of Park Media. Before I introduce today's guest, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, share, and leave a five-star review. And if you find this podcast useful in any way and want to pay us the ultimate compliment, head on over to our Patreon page where you can subscribe to be a classic, stealth, or beast mode subscriber. On this episode, I had the absolute pleasure to be able to co-host the show with Tim Bougie and talk to the founder and CTO of Volta Power Systems, Jack Johnson. We talked about a quick history of how Jack became the founder and CTO, how the Volta system was designed and how it works. We also talk about the competition, accessories, their new products coming out, and we get into the weeds about technical questions along with maintenance and how they see themselves in the future. Also, make sure you check out the show notes because I have links to the Volta website that contains a lot of information and videos to help you with your Volta system. This episode is jam-packed full of information and you're not going to want to miss a second of it. So sit back, relax, and welcome Jack Johnson to the Stone Nation family. Thank you so much for coming on the Stone Nation podcast today. It is a absolute pleasure and honor to have the CTO from Volta on. And I know, and I speak not only for myself, but many, many people out there that bought the Storyteller, probably the number one reason why we bought it was because of the Volta system. So it's a great pleasure to have you on today. Well, thank you for having me. That's really kind to say. And it's fun to be here today. It's fun to meet a few uh, more users that have experienced the fun that uh, we bring in the marketplace. So this is great. Yeah, and I asked uh, Tim Bougie to come on and be the co-host, and Tim happens to be the admin or one of the admins for the Storyteller Facebook group. So he has seen time and time again the reoccurring themes about the Volta system. So that's why I asked him to join. So there's Tim. (laughs) Greetings. All right. So let's, uh, let's start with your background. How did you become the CTO of Volta? Fun story. Um, <clears throat> so I am a, uh, my background is mechanical engineering design, material science, um, with a, also a degree in automotive uh, technology. And <clears throat> I was recruited at a university for a big company called uh, Johnson Controls. Um, they are a tier one supplier. They make, well, one time they're the biggest battery supplier in the world, but they also interiors components. And I was that classic engineer that loved to design things and figure things out. But as a farm kid, I also had a lot of practical knowledge, like how to really fix things. Um, And and that led me into a career of fixing big things, $100 million projects. Started traveling globally, had global responsibility, and I got into aircraft seating, advanced product design, material science, composites, name it, I was doing all the crazy stuff. And in 2008, 2009, after that uh, unfortunate uh, financial downturns, um, there was a big push of alternative energy here in the U.S. Um, you know, 
the, the, it was called the uh, America Recoveries Act. There was a big push to electrify things. Some good things came out of it, some bad things came out of it. But one of the activities was Joss Controls was awarded a really big opportunity to be one of the only U.S. companies to get some of that, that uh, investment to build the world's first large format automotive focused lithium ion plant. And they were like, we, no one's ever built a plant like this before. How do we build it for automotive specs? What does that look like? Um, there's a big transition from consumer products to automotive and the need to make something that lasts or replaces an engine was a lot different than trying to power a laptop. And so our, this big company was trying to figure out who was crazy enough to pull this off. <laughs> My name came to the top of the list and I got the opportunity to launch the first large format, large volume lithium ion plant in the US and that was built here in Holland, Michigan. I got involved, had to lead that, had to become a, an expert in how you make lithium ion cells. What is lithium ion? How does it work? We spent $1.2 billion over five years in investment, both equipment, time, and money to try to learn all this. We were way ahead of where everybody needed to be. And so obviously we didn't have business. And I was like, hey, we need to figure out a way to get this out to the regular folks, people who want to use it, not just the big car companies, right? And it's like, how do we do that? And uh, I went to one of my... Uh, leaders and then said, hey, I got this idea. How about let the crazy engineers figure out how to repurpose all of this amazing technology we built? And they decided to fund it. So they they funded me to go out and do research. And what I really was interested in is eliminating generators and you know the limitations that came with trying to live on a motor coach or a, an RV with the generator and the noise and the inconvenience. And I I, I you know it's like, you know, people don't want to really go to a cord. They really want to get off a cord. They just go to a cord because they have to. And that drove the idea and the concept. And the concept was, hey, let's standardize this across um, all platforms and make it flexible. Well, the, the issue for Johns Controls was that was too difficult, too many little customers, not enough big volume. And so they decided not to do it. And I was like, this is too good of an idea. This would be fun. So I was crazy enough to quit my 18-year position and decided to go out and form both the power systems. And I was able to find some local investors that had a background in electricity and they had access to RV coaches. And uh, that team formed Volta Power Systems. And so for the last five years, I've been uh, handling this exciting ride, doing some neat stuff, meeting great people and uh, building some amazing technology. So that's that's the crazy background. That's an amazing background. That's uh, I had no idea that you built that power plant. You don't know where you're gonna end up. <laughs> You just got to do the best with what you got. And I was very fortunate to be in a position where I had the right experience, right background, and the opportunity came up. And um, not many people get to have a billion-dollar education in advanced energy technology. Um, and that's made it all happen. And so from there, just been trying to apply what we've learned. And that's why, you know, our systems work really well compared to what else out there is because of the I guess you can say that step up we had in knowledge of uh, not just what does work, what doesn't work at the same time. And speaking of which, so when you moved over to the, I guess, recreational RV sector, um, what made you team up with Storyteller? So Jeffrey gives me a call and uh, he's like, hey, I'm a startup, got some neat ideas. I know you're working on some big stuff, but you know we're really trying to be forward looking and, and we would like for you to come talk to us. So I was like, hey. I'm in the same boat. I was in this. I know what it's like to be a startup. You know, you try to earn somebody's um, opportunity, right? You, you know, you need to get their time. And when you start up, there's a lot of risk. But I understand where he's at. It seemed like a great guy. So I went down, met him and Lee, 
and saw their operations and they were in this little place and they were building two prototype vans. And I was like, hmm, okay. But instantly love the guys. They're just great people. And then um, uh, one of their key builders, the, the guy leading the show, he's a car guy and I'm, and he loves race cars and he loves um, build product and we hit it off right away. And then all of a sudden I felt like I had confidence that, okay, I can teach them and they'll do a great job. And since then they've done a fantastic job. Yeah. It seems like a really great partnership between the two of you. Yeah. It's uh, it's a lot of fun to see them successful and growing and, and um, utilize the energy technology of the fullest to bring that best experience. I mean, their mode concept and giving all this flexibility to their customers um, at the same time, building them in a way that, um, you know, when people want these and go adventure manning, they're going to go out and beat them up. They're going to go out in the field and their systems are really designed around that adventure van. And it's fun, fun to see how quickly that has taken off um, and been embraced. It's a great story. Uh, I had a question on, you had mentioned Johnson controls. And since we're talking about batteries for the people who don't know, I've heard that uh, brand name in the industry, um, with the other uh, types of batteries they've sold for the, the, for the people out there, can you go over, like, I know Johnson controls was a manufacturer for a number of different uh, batteries uh, in the automotive space that other people have heard of. Can you go over what some of those brands are just so we sure. kind of know? Usually what happens is brands consolidate and then you have a brand and then you have a manufacturer that builds all the products. So Johnson controls was making 80% of all the lead acid batteries here in the U S. So you think of every major brand you ever purchased, let's say diehard or, Go any pick any brand Walmart Op brand Optima Optima Odyssey. Optima is a little bit different design but they own Optima you know pre-sold batteries that might have Ford or Motorcraft or whatever those are just branded all built by Johnson Control as a tier one at one time they were like forty some percent of the entire global market of all lead acid batteries got it because the Volta was in the Travado right why mm -hmm. didn't you guys put it in the Revel. We, did, we launched it on the Travato GL and KL and on the Bolt, and it's all built around the Bolt. The Revel, um, it was already designed, and it's their number one selling vehicle. Um, and uh, to put our system in, if they would have had to redesign the vehicle with all the demand they have, I mean, that, that vehicle is in super high demand. It, it didn't make sense for them at that time. Gotcha. Do you think they'll add that in the future? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I was just curious if you got wind that they're going to try to build it in the Revel or not. That That is something that um, would be only something that Winnebago could disclose. I got to, that's, that's oh, okay. the, fair enough. That's their stuff. You got to twist your arm a little bit. Harder, I know, Jeff. I know, but, but, <laughs> but yeah, but um, you know, obviously from our standpoint, our, our goal is to help both all of our OEMs to be successful in deploying this technology. And, and for our goals, we'd love to put it on more vehicles, but sometimes it doesn't work either because of shape, size, or fit. Um, uh, our products are specifically to be different than lead acid. You know, one of our concerns when we went to market was RV people have a, a, a reputation of being tinkerers, right? They want they, they want to upgrade. Like uh, you mentioned, the Alvan team, right? They make a business around doing upgrades and modifications. And when it comes to working with advanced energy technology, um, with all of the safety functions and all of the controls, how how radically different it is than anything else out there. We didn't want it to look like a battery at all. Um, we made them black boxes in corners, hide them away, um, mainly to try to help people understand that, you know, 
you wouldn't go out and change your crankshaft or your um, uh, camshaft in your generator, right? You wouldn't go out and take your generator apart generally, right? Let's best not take this stuff apart. It's a lot different. And so that change, when we you know make that kind of statement, it also changes how people have built their floor plans. Like if they've always planned for two lead acid batteries in this one particular spot and they've built the whole product around it, it's kind of hard to have this weird mix match. So it's one of the things that we know that isn't the best thing for our strategy to get out there, but we also did it because it was, it was specific to make sure we created the safety and the expectations and the differentiation than what's out there today. That makes complete sense. Yeah. Thanks for explaining that. And to shift gears just a little bit, um, but with the Revel, they put the Xantrax batteries in, I believe, the lithium batteries by Xantrax. Um, and then there's also another company called Battleborn, right? So can you briefly describe, and this is more for the people that are looking to buy a storyteller and they don't know the difference between a Volta system, a Battleborn, or a Xantrax, because all they really see is that it's a lithium battery. Yeah. But there is a difference. Uh, do you mind explaining that real quick? Ooh, careful. You're asking an engineer <laughs> to explain <laughs> technology. <laughs> so well, this in is like, layman I, terms, I guess. <laughs> layman terms. I know um, I, this is one of my passions. Um, this is really fascinating. So lithium ion, what is lithium ion? It sounds cool. It's great, cool sounding name, but we all know what lead acid is. Well, we've been told our whole lives, here's your lead acid battery. Well, that is it's got lead and it's got acid in it. Okay, it's lead acid. When they say lithium ion, they they change it up on people. Most people are going to think, hey, lead and acid, that must be the chemistry, lithium ion. Uh-uh. For some reason in the 90s, they decided to market the name off of the function that it does. It exchanges an ion. It has another thing to do with chemistry. Hmm. And that's what throws people through the loop because you're like, hey, I'm trying to relate it to things I already know, lead acid, lithium ion. It should be the same, right? Mm-mm. There's actually seven or eight different chemistries now, and it, and it keeps growing in versions that use the process of how a lithium wants to exchange ions to give up an electron. And so it's a process, not a chemistry. And so the difference between our chemistry, we, we it's called NMC, nickel manganese cobalt. It's an acronym for the cathode, the mixed metal oxide on the cathode. That's about two times to three times more energy for the same weight and volume as the lithium ion that's in those other brands. They use a technology called lithium iron phosphate. Has a different um, uh, electrolyte, so the, a different type of liquid in it that exchange um, uh, the chemistry works in. It's a different type of electrode material. And so its energy density is lower and it has different um, properties. So it, it makes different power, uh, different voltage ranges. There's lots of things that are different and it's one of the, and then and that's the background why no automotive company uses most of those because they're too heavy, um, they're too big, and they've got some quirks around how they work. And so automotive had to keep driving for higher and higher energy density, more and more performance, and the product that they can control more accurately. And that's where NMC technologies come from. And it's also why it's confusing to folks because. Nobody's explaining to them that these are all different chemistries that Thanks help or make it, that. make it more confusing. No, it totally makes sense. It's, it's different technology that renders different outputs, and you just basically have the best technology. I mean, that's we, what I heard. We're very fortunate to be 
partnered with the latest, um, and that's a whole story in itself, but uh, our partners are actually the guys that developed the tech at Argonne National Labs back in the 2000s. That technology is the same thing everybody else is using now in automotive. And we get to be right there on the front end with the latest technology, but in a small company providing it to um, consumers in the RV industry and, and also our industrial customers. Young Wong, we got two questions following up on, on that, if I could. Um, yeah, of course. So I think the two topics I hear where people want to make comparisons, it, it, it'd be helpful to kind of know pros and cons is people typically want to know about cold weather performance and then safety is where I'll hear comparisons made on lithionic Xantrex mm -hmm. versus Volta. Um, obviously, we know that the Volta system, there's a larger um, expense in that system. Could you kind of go into, you know, why would the Volta, you know, be worth the increased cost? Um, what does it offer in terms of cold weather performance, you know, uh, safety? Love it. Great questions. So let's um, let's take the safety first. That's the first one. So ultimately, um, the safety question gets thrown around and it's kind of funny and people get excited um, because safety is an important thing. Right. But it's something you shouldn't take lightly, but it's being used as a marketing tool a lot. It is true that lithium iron phosphate technology has a lower energy density and it has a good behavior in what's called an over, overcharge. So if you abuse it and beat it up, um, it, it doesn't put out as much exothermic energy. Um, what do you mean by uh, use it and abuse it? How can um, one Generally overcharge or you cycle it too hard, you push too much current. So it'd be like um, trying to run your engine at twice the RPM that it was designed for, right? or keeping it low and running at 8,000 RPM on your engine all day long. That's hard on an engine, right? It's gonna wear out your components and it could break it. In lithium ion or batteries, how much current or energy you pull out as a function of time and how hard you do it in out, back and forth, or you go over their design threshold, that will hurt, hurt them. And that's where you can get in trouble. But that's all, all the stuff I just mentioned is all about process control. So if you just refer to chemistry as a safety item, it's kind of like saying that gasoline and natural gas, since natural gas is harder to ignite and it's got less energy density, then we all should go to natural gas. That doesn't make sense, right? We know gasoline is explosive. We all have been taught that gasoline is more powerful. And right now what we're talking about is far safer than gasoline, but when you put in comparison if I have a cup of gasoline here and I have a vapor of natural gas, which one would catch on fire? The gasoline would because natural gas would have alleviated. That's the wrong way to have a conversation. We know for the last hundred years, cars have been safe. There's still a lot of car fires, right? You get a flying leak, things happen. But the system design really governs safety. So if you say you take a Revel, the Revel has two, what's called group one, Group 31 size battery. So they're rated at 100 amp hours at 12 volts. That's 1200 watt hours. You have two of those. That's 2400 watt hours. You're only supposed to use about 70%. So they're going to have a cutoff in there to make sure you don't go over discharge. So you take 70% of 2100. What is that? 1800 watt hours, roughly doing the math in my head. So you have 1800 watt hours. Your system on board has over 12,000 watt hours. So you got more than 10 times more energy in your same pack. That's one of the things you're paying for your energy. 
Then of course you have your, your under the hood generator, that alternator you have, that will make 6,000 watts. So at 180 amps, they can have 180 amps at 12 volts. That only makes 2,000 watts. So you have five times the charge speed. So when you guys go out there and you're low on power, you want to charge up, you'll be able to charge everything up, run your air conditioning and get it charged. All the other technology, they're consuming the energy faster than they can put it back in because they don't have the power. Um, the, and so that's where your the cost delta, you know, and if you break it down, we, we think we call it dollar per kilowatt or dollar per usable energy and dollar per watt and usable power. If you break it all down, there really isn't a difference. In fact, sometimes voltage lower cost. It's just that we do everything big, powerful, because I, we believe that's what people need to be able to truly get off grid. Yeah, no, the, it makes me think of really um, the Volta system is, to me, it's kind of like a Mac. There's all the quality control. Everything's a Mac component. It's put together one way. So you get this end product versus, you know, I could put together a, a fairly inexpensive PC taking the different parts that I want to just source on my own. But the Volta system is all, you've got a Volta alternator generator under the hood. Every piece in that box is specced by you guys, um, you know, meets a certain standard. And it's, it's not so much kind of piecemeal together. That's kind of how I think of it. Um, it, it as you know, like typically a Mac computer is more than a PC. Perfect. Um, you know, that, that's kind of how I think of it. The Apple concept. Yeah. I mean, we're, we, we call it, we have actually, we don't like to use the word battery. This is kind of a, a trend. We, we actually try to stay away from the concept of battery altogether because it closes people's minds. We like to say we're an advanced energy systems or advanced storage system. And they're like, what, what is that? We don't sell batteries. We do full solutions that replace generators. So that means the alternator controls, all of the devices, the inverters, all the power components, all of it's been designed to work together like the replacement of your engine, right? When you break apart your engine in your car or you break apart that generator, it has all these complex components that all have to do the work together to do the job correctly. If you leave it to be mismatched in the environment traditionally that has been allowed in the RV market, you get a lot of underperforming solutions and they don't have the R&D time or the knowledge to accrue it to make it really work the way people really are wanting to. So by doing it simple ways and calling the Apple approach, you're, 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 you're eliminating all that hassle, that frustration. You're getting what people want in one package and they don't have to worry about it. That's why... We started with the gauge and the button. Um, when we went out there and researched, the, the products in the market had like 15 switches and you had to monitor this and you had this gauge and this monitor. And I looked at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to use this thing and go enjoy it. Why do I have to be an electrical engineer to run my coach? I just wanted to work. Push the button, everything works. And that throws a few people through a loop based on how they've always experienced a coach. It's one of the reasons why the inverter kicks right on when you hit the button, which is different. But... The goal was get rid of all that complexity, make it easy, and it's one complete system. Thanks for explaining that. Um, speaking of use and abuse, on your website, you claim to have the battery uh, lifespan to be about eight to 10 years. What is, now that the batteries, especially in the Storyteller and the other models have been out for a while, what's the actual real um, world results from that? Do you still expect it to last eight to 10 years? It's been tested. So our product comes right out of hybrid drivetrain testing. So we use a Ford hybrid technical spec. What does that mean? Um, automotive companies have 
durability specifications that they have to put their products through. So you think like an engine. So before that engine ever goes to market, you have to go run it through the drive cycles. And the goal is an automobile engine has to last at least 10 years, right? So you have to prove your product with a statistical sample size that will last 10 years. But the good thing is, is the product we're using comes from drivetrains. They have 40, currently they're over 40 million road miles on that cell and block that we build around. And the drive cycle test specifically, and there's some techie stuff there, but it's very aggressive. It's, it has to mimic basically 10 years of use on a, on a daily drive cycle and still be 80% of the original capacity. So we define what most people won't define in the battery world is they'll define what you classify as end of life. Well, end of life for us, it's still going to work fine, but it's a technical way of saying I'm measuring my performance. I don't want to lose more than 20% over a 10-year use case. And you're going to beat it up. You're going to use it every day, discharge, charge, just every day, 10 years. That's roughly 2,000 cycles in an automotive world um, setup. And you got to show me that you're always above that 80%. And that's what we test to. And if you're not an expert in batteries right now, you wouldn't know that because they could say that, well, our new life represents zero. So if they go out and say, oh, ours will last 6,000 cycles. Well, what happens at 6,000 cycles? Oh, it's down at zero. Well, that means you've been gradually reducing capacity for years and you've probably nosed by them. But, but until the knowledge gets out there that they, you also have to ask, well, what do you define in the life for your life cycle? Um, it creates confusion for the consumer. Gotcha. Now to switch gears just a little bit, um, I want to talk about accessories. So you have a Bluetooth accessory right now. But then you also came out with this panel where it basically shows what you can see on the Bluetooth uh, app that you guys built. Um, So before I jump ahead of myself, so the Bluetooth adapter, will it ever be able to go off of Wi-Fi or some type of data instead of Bluetooth? So you can operate, you know, someone's, let's say, out mountain biking and they're, you know, they want to check the status of their battery over internet connection, will will you guys be able to do that? We have a product that's coming out. Yep, um, you're going to be able to see it this summer. Um, we'll be adding an additional feature to the app, and that gives you device-device capability. So if you've got a hotspot in the vehicle, you can tag it the hotspot, and then you'll be able to access the data from any other device. Can you yeah. control the inverter with that as well? That's on our roadmap. Don't have that capability today. Um, right now, it's going to all be reading data. So the purpose is data, but you will be able to set you alerts. So for instance, let's say you're out hiking. You can, you can be able to customize set, hey, I want to be notified. You have, hey, shore power off. You now have eight hours remaining at current consumption. You want to have a low bat warning. You're out hiking and you've got keep the vehicle cold or you've got a pet or something you're going to worry about. You can have it set to give you triggers. Um, the ability to push back data in a world of security, that's that's something that uh, uh, we are working on, but that's uh, gonna be something we have to work through first because we don't, you don't wanna have an open network where somebody can modify the settings in the product. And so you've gotta have a lot of security and, um, and controls and that takes time and quite a bit of investment to make sure that that happens. 
can't happen. Yeah, you got to have some type of encryption going on in that. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's a price point for something like that? What are you guys looking at? Um, well, it's probably going to be seeing them pop out on vehicles late this fall. And it, it won't be much of a difference at all um, with our current customers. We haven't decided to sell it to the to just a user yet. We didn't. We've been actually getting quite a few calls of like people interested in having it in their vehicle now. And um, you know, just from our business standpoint, we are a business-to-business focused company, meaning one of our mission statements is making advanced energy simple for underserved markets, like Storyteller Team. So our focus is making them successful so they integrate those products. But we've had quite a bit of uh, outreach requesting more information. So we we're, we are analyzing how, how could we do that if uh, um, if we could do it. Yeah, everyone wants to try to maximize that battery. And one of the ways, because I bought the Bluetooth adapter, and I think it's great, especially in the wintertime, I can see exactly what's going on with the battery. And so I think the more people like myself that got the accessory and they see what's going on, it kind of gets a little uh, gadget envy, if you will. But at the same time, if you know that your battery is encroaching 47, 45, you know, sub 30 degrees, then you're going to need to know that. And, yeah, you, you know, want take to take action. Heat on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can definitely see that being a huge, huge um, game changer for you guys. Um, Tim, did you have something that you wanted to say? Uh, no, I think you, you were hitting on it. I think the bigger question was, are these items backwards compatible? And as you know, the Bluetooth module is the panel, the question on whether or not that would be backwards compatible. Um, I think other people want to know, I know if I'm in cold weather, I have to have the inverter on so that I maintain the battery blanket. And that was something that came up on the forum not too long ago. You know, people just knowing that, Hey, if your batteries have already gotten cold to the point where the voltage turns blue, the engaging the inverter at that point really isn't that's not the best practice we want to anticipate the cold temperatures leave the battery blankets on to prevent the core of those batteries from getting very cold um so for me it probably wouldn't change anything but i think there are people uh, out there who just like to know the information yeah yeah and that's that's something we we do um i started doing some shorts and trying to do some more communication and that's what this stuff's fun to help people understand. I mean, one of the things that's different, and I think this is just history. When you think the word battery, they're so consumed with my batteries are going to fail, right? My, if I use my batteries, like lead acids, the more you use lead acid, the quicker they wore out. And I think I see a lot of people worried about being really stingy with their power. But then when you start using the system, you'll notice that people start realizing, wait a second, I can charge this thing up in no time flat. And I can't actually drain it fast enough because I'm going to go out and adventure. I'm going to go drive my vehicle the next day. And, but in their mind, they're thinking all the stuff they've learned in the past, which is, well, well, I don't want to make those batteries go down too fast. And I'm like, no, it's okay. They're designed to do that. It's okay. Use them, discharge them, charge them, discharge them. I mean, you're going to have, it's, it's designed to replace an internal combustion engine on your vehicle. It's going to last the life of your Go enjoy it. Don't worry. Um, and I think a lot of people are just so worried that there's going to be something to happen. But, you know, the safeties are in there. The cold weather temperature safeties are in there. The low temp, the low voltage shutoff is in there. Um, it would be really, really, really hard for you to hurt the batteries. Um, that's why there's so many features in there that sometimes seem mystical. Um, but as you get to use them, like Tim said, as you get to use it, it, it's like, oh, yeah, you just change your expectations completely. 
um, once you start using one. Yeah, you brought up a good point, Jack, in regards to that. I, and I know I'm, a, uh, I guess, a victim of that mentality. It's like I was really afraid to use a battery, and I was like, oh, now I have to drive around because I use 10%, and it has to be at 100 because if not, then it's going to explode and blah, blah, blah. But I think with the apps that um, you're building and that new um, – data thing where you can set a certain temperature or whatever the parameter is to be able to give you a notification that will help ease, especially the new RV people that don't have right. any experience. I think that will definitely ease their concern. And over time, it'll eventually get to what you're saying is like, just use the battery. It'll be okay. Yeah. And that's where I love learning from customers. We get out there to talk with people. Uh, Facebook Groups are fantastic because they're this great tight community and they start talking and we try to monitor all those. We are very focused on listening um, and saying, okay, now we can see that. And then we have these opportunities to talk with folks and talk about, you know, don't bring that. That's why we don't like to talk batteries. Like it's your advanced energy system or a voltage system. It's totally different. And that helps people give an opportunity to think, start thinking a little differently. And once they realize that I'm not going to wear it out, I can't really break it. If it gets cold, it's just not turning on. It doesn't mean it's hurting it. I think one of the things I hear a lot is people heard about the experience in lithium iron phosphate product where they don't have protections on them. And so any lithium ion, you get them cold and you actually let current come out, you can ruin them. And that's the thing that people have heard. Well, all of our systems are protected. So if it gets really cold out, the reason it turns blue is giving you a warning. And then if it gets too cold, it will turn off and it will make sure you can't hurt it because it's actually been tested down to minus 30 C for three really? months straight with no capacity loss in, in the testing. Really? If you're in sub zero and it turns off, you're okay. The product just went into hibernation. It's protecting itself. Get somewhere, warm it up, you know, plug in, plug in somewhere, give it a chance to let the heaters warm up and it's going to be okay. Your product's not bad. That's a big difference than the technology that's in a lot of lithium iron phosphate. Now, some lithium iron phosphate manufacturers do put in those controls and those heater controls. So not giving them a hard time. They have their own capabilities, but it all depends on how well they've been executed as a system approach versus I'm just selling you a battery. You need to figure it out. I wish we had you on the podcast or I wish I had the podcast like four months ago because the Facebook group uh, Facebook group was just blowing up and Tim can contest that everyone was freaking out about their bladder, their battery, not their bladder, <laughs> their battery, you know, the slow blinking blue light, the whole nine yards. And they all thought, and to include myself, I, we all thought that the battery was going to be destroyed. And then, you know, the number one reason why you bought the storyteller is now a big, you know, piece of junk, but yeah. that's really good to know. <laughs> yeah. But we, when we see that, um, we like to, you know, some, uh, do you, uh, you fill me in or is it, I mean, you guys probably have some requirements that manufacturers shouldn't, shouldn't tech, um, communicate on your, because uh, we usually don't, we take a policy. We won't communicate yeah. on the groups. We just watch and then we try to talk to somebody and then help answer the question. Um, yeah. when we no, come up. I think, um, you know, for the most part, we would welcome input you had, um, Usually it's nice when the people who are aligned with the company will post from their company's profile. So we know we not everyone knows Jack Johnson, but they know, hey, it's Volta Power Systems is posting on here. Um, and I think you guys can be the judge of when there's a real technical question that maybe is better answered by you than forum members, because there is a lot of confusion out there. Um, you know, and, and a lot of this just has to do with uh, I, I get it. I'm an owner. 
you get about eight user manuals when you buy one of these. So honestly, Where's that I, I, <laughs> that a, a lot of people don't read through all of that or get a great orientation from their dealer. So people didn't know what the blue blinking light meant and they didn't know if they could continue to use the system. Um, but you know, the, the cohort of owners is growing every day so that we're yeah. having you here. So, uh, we're going to get that good information out there. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Blue blinking is just giving you a warning. It's getting cold. It's all going to be okay. Uh, <laughs> and then if it gets too cold, it'll just turn off. And this is great. So um, we're our, we are working on trying to do more like little shorts. Um, if you go to our website, um, they can go to our. We're doing blogs as well. We're trying to learn how to do that, and then we're doing all these little shorts to help answer some of those questions. That's great. I'll be sure to make uh, the links in the show notes for the, for you on that one. That'd be great. Um, another concern that a lot of people have is that you're coming out with a bunch of new products, like. Um, a low profile inverter, a fanless DC converter, et cetera, et cetera. Um, is this all going to be retrofitted back to like the 2019 models? They could be. Um, they definitely can be. I mean, their, their modules are being replaced. They're all going to have similar communication. But all these new devices are all about listening to customers. So one of the things is our DC-DC had a small CPU fan on it. And when you take away all the noises in the van, and even if this is like less than 20 decibels, people were hearing it. And we, we heard, well, I hear this whirling and whizzing and, and, and I'm like, well, okay. So we ended up designing a totally, again, there's not a lot of technology working on the level we're at and you can't just get it. So we had to design and build a um, DC-DC converter and we made it so it's all passive cooling, there's no fan. And wow. so that, helps people with that, con you know, they wanted it absolutely silent. Um, the, the smaller inverter is all about taking advantage of efficiency and um, scale. And so we've been working on better designs and those units, the 3.6 kilowatt unit you guys have is a, I mean, it is a stump pulling horsepower maniac. That thing will make actually, it'll peak load at almost 7,000 watts. I mean, that's more than any class A out there almost, you know, in terms of actual yeah. power surge it can do, um, which is way overkill for uh, almost all of our uh, current customers. So we've been right-sizing that power capability. Our industrial customers use that big inverter a lot and they like it because they are just, they, they generally last for extremely long periods of time. They take a beating and they can do about anything they want to do with it. I'm sure you guys have probably started playing with the export power capabilities when you're like, how much can I run? I mean, you can run everything. I mean, have you guys found anything you can't run yet on it as two users? No, I mean, I have a hairdryer, the microwave, the induction stove going on. I mean, you name it, I got it going. And then I have a full setup off or full office setup in my in mind. So, I mean, I'm I on the Bluetooth adapter, I think I was pushing like, a, I want to say like, 3,500 watts one time. And that was like oh, yeah. consistent. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. It'll do it. it yeah. It'll, I've, I've had customers running them out. I'm running 4,500 watts. It's only rated at 36. I'm like, yeah, it'll do it for a while until you get it too hot. <laughs> it'll be okay. <laughs> but it's, it's a really powerful solution. And, and you're talking to do something like the other competitors, you'd have to have three or four of those inverters to do what that one inverter does. Hey, Tim, do you want to take this next question about the technical, uh, question we got on the Facebook uh, yeah. forum the other day? So this is, uh, I find this feature to be used quite a bit. Um, 
So if you're, I call it when you're mooch docking, you're parked at a friend's place, they don't have a 30 amp shore power outlet, but carry my adapter and then a, I think it's a 20 amp extension cord. So when I want to just go ahead and uh, hook up to shore power, not necessarily to completely, you know, recharge, but to be able to run some items and not necessarily lose state of charge uh, overnight. Um, you know, typically you're plugging into, say, a 15 or a 20 amp household outlet, right? It's not a 30 amp. So, you know, uh, it's in the instruction manual how you need to go into the branch amp setting and change that so that you don't blow your circuit breaker at your friend's uh, house or garage. Uh, the question that came up, and I had the same question myself, um, and hopefully you'll be able to answer it, but let's say I'm plugging into a 15 amp outlet at home. I put my branch settings, uh, say I put that at 10 amps. Now, is that just what will get used to charge the Volta system? Because typically, whatever you have going, if I'm running my microwave or if I'm running the air conditioner, is that above that 15 amp setting, whatever I set for branch amps? Can you just explain the relationship to, between what you set on the monitor on your display panel and then what the system will draw in addition to that, or if it caps it? Well, branch amps specifically talks about the charger. And what's confusing is that your inverter and charger are one device. So <clears throat> since they're one device, you have all those settings in one display. And so what happens is when you plug your unit in to a shore power, it doesn't matter, any shore power, after it qualifies a shore power and it says, hey, I see good power it's not going to hurt anything. It's okay. It's going to close a path that allows that to flow into your coach and it's going to just take care of it. And the battery is kind of setting off to the side. When you go and you change your branch amps, what you're saying is, hey, I'm on a limited circuit. I don't want you to use more than 10 amps for charging. So it's going to say, okay, any available power I can pull, I'm not going to go over 10 amps. And so it's saying, great, I'm not going to turn that charger on full bore. And so what you're really doing is saying, charger, you're on a limited supply. Don't be a hog <laughs> and take it easy. And that's what you're telling it to do. Why anything else coming to the coach is bypassing through and it'll, it'll take that first to all the appliances. You yep. So typically the way I'll tell people now is if you're plugged in at a friend's house, find out on the panel what your limit is. So if it's a 15 amp circuit, just know that if it's the summer and I want to run the AC and do some other things, or in my case, I was in Colorado last month. Um, I wanted to use a 1500 watt ceramic space heater. Um, so I didn't, you know, burn diesel, use up S bar hours when it was just parked there. Um, so what I would do is I would go ahead and plug the space heater in. And then I had to bring the branch amps down to zero at one point so that I wouldn't blow that 15 amp breaker. So that's, I'm just telling Pete. This is a great one, Tim. So what is 1500 watts? This is so much fun. So wattage is volts times your amps. So if you're plugged in 120 volts, so 120 volt circuit and you only have 15 amps, 120 times 15 is the total watts that you have. So what is that? 120 times 15 is roughly 1800 watts. So you've got, 1800 watts available and if you're consuming if your device you have your heater is rated at 1500 and usually what i find those devices is they pull more than what they really say they are 
you're right there. All the power that you have available, you have 1800 to flow coming in and the, and you need 1500 to flow to run your device. That means you only have a few watts left over to run something else. Well, you can't do much with a few watts. And that's exactly what you experienced was um, you were consuming every bit of energy available and you couldn't allow anything to be on the charger whatsoever. So yeah, just I just tell people now, just know that whatever that branch amp setting is, that's above what you're drawing. So if people are like, well, I, I set it at 10 amps. Well, yeah, that's 10 amps above if you're running air conditioner you know, you're going to blow that 15 amp uh, breaker yep. frequently. So a lot of times you'll get to use shore power if you're plugged into a 15 amp outlet, but you just might not be able to charge. You can run everything you yep. need to run uh, for that night in their driveway, but you just uh, might not be able to charge. Yep. Um, and another thing people should be aware of is sometimes those outdoor um, circuits are weathered and they're a little weak. And so they trip early. Um, that's what we see a lot of too is, um, they're you know, supposed to be a 15 amp circuit, but it's breaking early and it's really because the that circuit is not a very strong circuit. Or what we find is that circuit is the same circuit they got their freezer on plus the lights in the garage and something else. And then you're plugging into it. So you don't, there actually isn't a full 15 amps there because it's actually being used other places on that, on that, on that circuit. Okay. And then the user who wrote this question, the only aspect we didn't go over yet is he did want to know is if you set your branch amps, say to five or 10, um, does your state of charge at the moment uh, change how much it's going to draw? So if I'm at 40%, will you draw more amps or is it going to be that constant 10 amps, whether you're it's at constant, 90%? So okay. All of our algorithms are constant current. Um, constant voltage type setups for he sounds like maybe a little techie knows a little bit about how you set it but basically yeah. it's going to be the same from here all the way up to about 90 percent 85 okay. it's going to slow down you might notice one of this is a question a lot of people ask is hey i i only charge to like 90 some percent with my alternator well i like to tell everybody hey everybody it, it it's like this you don't want to fill your coffee cup with a fire hose and you can all imagine if you got a coffee cup and you want to fill it up and you got a coffee cup or a fire hose, what happens to the coffee cup? So you need to balance how much it flow with the size of your reservoir. And so what happens is, yeah, we can fill you up, your bathtub up really fast with this big, massive amount of energy. But then when we get to a certain point, we don't want it to ever overfill or splash out, right? And, and you know, not, nothing will splash out. This is just a visualization of, you're filling it really fast. And then all of a sudden you need to slow down and be more accurate so that you don't um, overcharge it. And that's one of the reasons why on the alternator, you won't see it all the way to hundred percent. You'll see it hundred percent when you get a charge on shore power, because shore power can be metered more accurately. I got a, a question, uh, Jack. So when the battery does get to 90 or hundred percent, I'm kind of concerned about overcharging it. So does the alternator cut off when it's full or how does that work? That's one of the things about being a system. That alternator is specifically controlled by the energy system. So it knows what state the charge is and it knows um, what it's allowed. So when it gets around 90%, it's going to shut itself off. And here's what's very interesting. So one of the things that wears out alternators is they get hot and you overuse them. So like if you idle a car a lot with 12 volt battery, you hear about people's alternators dying. Well, they die because of heat and overuse because they're always running. 
Well, what, what we do is we'll charge you to 90 some percent, and then we will turn that alternator off until it gets back down to roughly somewhere around the 70s, and then it'll come back on again, and then it'll let you drift. And what that does is I can put a lot of load, charge it up, but then turn the alternator off, let cool. Because you don't need to sit there and keep running and putting a little bit in on the big, massive device. It'd be kind of like running your engine all day long like we used to to run a light bulb. Wait a second, why am I idling this 300 horsepower engine to run a light bulb? This makes no sense, right? And same type of thing for efficiency and design and all that, what we're talking about, that Apple experience, that's all built in and you don't have to worry about it. I loved you guys before, but I think I'm really in love with you guys. <laughs> so, I'm glad you're enjoying it. That's the most fun that I get is I, yeah, all the cool stories. I mean, I keep hearing... Uh, we heard this great story recently of somebody had a big storm outage and they didn't know what to do. And they decided to, well, I can plug the van in and run my neighborhood and help my neighbors out. I'm like, that's awesome. That's what it's supposed to be for. And then you change people's lives and you're doing it. It's green. It's saving energy. It's better. I mean, it's so much fun to see that, hear that and be a part of it and just think, wow, pinch me. I get to be a part of this. This is so much fun. Well, thank you for doing what you guys are doing to make that happen. Um, so the second to last topic I wanted to talk about real quick was maintenance. And in regards to heading into this, the spring and the summer time frame, because I'm sure, you know, people are going to get that red blinking light saying that the volt is too hot. So what, so can you walk us from the proper maintenance that we should be doing with the battery? And then what should we do if we get that, uh, that blinking red light? Should, I mean, obviously the answer is not to panic, but what's the best practice to help save, you know, people from over panicking? Yeah. Well, the blinking light again. So to get it to be too hot, you have to get the core of this solid metal battery uh, above 155 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, just Super, real quick. Sorry, uh, or 50, 55 C. So um, that orange light when it's saying orange is too hot to charge, it, you can still use it. It's just saying that, hey, it's gotten really hot. And we're not going to let you charge for a little while until it cools back down. Nothing to worry about. It's just giving you a warning that's saying, this is why you're not charging at the moment. Um, you know, if you're wanting to get to that 100%, why hasn't it got, got this orange light? Hey, it's been, you must be in a really hot part of the country. You must be over some really hot asphalt or something's just way hotter than it should be. And you're trying to push a lot of current and the battery's just saying, hey, I need to cool down. I need to... I need to breathe for a minute. And it's all about making sure you have that 10, 20 year life cycle. It has nothing to do with safety. It can go a lot higher before you have a safety issue. It's just about making sure um, it's gonna be there for you for the long haul. Tim, jump in on this if I'm wrong, but at least from what I saw last summer is that the battery would get too hot, they get the blinking light, and then they would try to turn their um, AC on, but it wasn't working. And so it's like this weird, vicious cycle. And, you know, it's a hundred, you know, whatever degrees, hundred percent humidity, et cetera, et cetera. So there's really no good environment for the battery to cool down. So in that circumstance, what do you recommend? So in the way that that system's designed, the inverter charger, so it's over there on the side. And so you got the battery pack in there and the inverter charger. Well, in all the other devices, electrical devices make heat. And the best advice I have is, you know how it's got those little ports on it, you know, visual ports on the back. Just, I would let them pop open and let somebody heat out because more than likely what's happening is if the AC hasn't been on and you've got your other periphery devices running, right? Or um, 
and maybe the inverter was on and just sitting there idling, all of those electrical devices are putting off heat. And let's just say it's 100 degrees in the cabin and those things are also making heat. You can slowly build up enough heat that will give you the warning. Um, so what I'd recommend is on the air conditioner, all of it, you know, just enjoy it. But it's okay to run, run it. And if you get heat built up, I'd let the heat out by, you can, you've got those little other ports. And really that's what it is. It's just heat is being built up and not being es escaping quick enough. Um, so to clarify, Jack, if the red light comes on, you're still okay to utilize the inverter or the inverter shouldn't auto shut off. So that right. your AC will work. And when it says, it's basically saying when you see that orange flashing light and you might see if you've got an app and it says, hey, it's too hot to charge. What it's saying is, hey, I've gotten to a temperature point where I need to turn off your charge devices and try to let you cool down. And <clears throat> ideally would be, you know, if you've been pushing, you know, you've been running it really hard, you've been running the air conditioning, you're trying to, you know, it's really hot outside, you're trying to get it cold, cold in the cabin. And you're and you just and you're also running your laptop and you might be running the microwave and you're maximizing your energy. That's okay. You can still use it, but it's going to say, "I'm going to turn the alternator off, or I'm going to turn the charger off from the inverter for a while, and I'm going to try to let that mass of heat cool down." And that just makes sure that we don't push it to uh, the limit. Um, it, it takes getting up to 60C um, before. Um, it will pull the, what we call the main contactor, where it will actually shut off. When it shuts off, it's saying, I'm really too hot. I'm not going to let you pull anymore. But if it's still running and working, you're just in a warning area. Say, hey, you might think about reducing your power loads for a little while and let it cool down. And then the last subject is uh, that I wanted to touch on is Volta's future. So where are you guys moving at? Where do you see yourself five to ten years? What should we expect from you? Just keep seeing more and more performance in a smaller, smaller space. Uh, you're going to see, we, we love to listen. We love to learn to our clients. What else can we make things better? You're going to see some more features coming out. You're going to see, um, you're going to see the product showing up on a lot of different chassis soon. Um, we're, we're being heavily adopted now all the way to mainstream class A's. That's awesome. I can't wait to see where you guys go. And then um, I had some random question. So my random question is, and this is just, you know, being a consumer is, do you think in the future you can put fans at either exhaust or intake fan and put it the opposite on the other side so you can allow air to pass through the battery to help either heat or cool it? We have some customers do that today. Probably you could do that now. Um, that's not a, I mean, you could just put a little fan and, and put a vent yeah. and do that. If you're seeing you're getting overheated, that's one of the first thing we look at is, Let's look at those other heating devices. Um, the, the way the Travato works is it does have a fan and a heat. Um, we have customers that work in a really extreme environments. We've got stuff in, in super high temp deserts and things. And um, we pass cool air over that into the battery compartment. So it really comes down to, for us, when we work with a user, what's fitting in their space and what's the, you know, ideal and um, operating environment and sometimes we'll hit those maxes like it sounds like you might have hit those maxes and well, from there not yeah, me can... personally i've just seen people frantically post on facebook so <laughs> yeah putting a fan again to me it, it's more than likely they're just there's too much heat built up from other electronic devices because everyone's working too hard and they might be one of those heavy users that are pegging the high end 
And yeah, just putting a fan and letting heat out. It, um, sometimes just a grill slit is enough to, to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It would just be kind of cool to have a fan built in and then I want it on an app and I want to push a button and I want, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, I'm just so joking. I've heard, I've heard that stuff. <laughs> kind of I know where you're coming from. Uh, I did have one random. Oh, sorry. Uh, I had one random as well. Um, and I know other guys have asked and talked about it. Um, but so currently right now, if I go and park and I shut down, um, a lot of people like to utilize their stereo system um, or if they have the Mercedes built in Wi-Fi, it would be nice to be able to tap into Volta power to continue to run today. their stereo. Okay. So I know so there was some right issues now today, with the Mercedes we, system and well, all you need to do, and this is super easy Yeah. on the output of your inverter. If you look in there, you, or you've got the 120 outlets, all of your vehicle, mm -hmm. you can just get one of those, your battery tender chargers. In, they design them so that you can put them under the hood and open okay. to your lead acid battery. And there's okay. a 110 plug on them, right? You can okay. get those, any performance motorsports store, install that and run the wire in and just plug it in. Okay. And it yeah. will maintain your battery for you. That makes sense as, as a hack. Uh, I guess the only other question, and that's someone who's more familiar with the Mercedes side, is to just how to override the, the timeout. So normally yeah. uh, it's like a 30 minute timeout after you shut off the vehicle that the M1 yeah. system is going to shut down. Um, so yeah, that the, would be, if we could figure that out. There's a way to do it. What they do is technically they call they're looking for edges and edges mean they want to see changes in RPM all the time. And then that'll keep that off. As soon as it sees no RPM for a certain amount of time, I'm not seeing edges. It was going to say it's going to start a counter. Um, yeah. You have to do, you have to get on their CAN bus and tell them, hey, no, you, it's okay. <laughs> There's ways of doing that, but uh, it's it's not something the Mercedes would be really happy with. <laughs> um, but those are what we call microhybrid systems. And we actually do microhybrid for our industrial work truck partners where we actually will have vehicles that will, you turn it to accessory mode, right? You turn it to accessory. You need to run the stereo. We actually power factory air conditioning systems. Yeah. Um, so we actually have a, um, you see it on our website, it's a little purple compressor and that's for our industrial partners. And they'll actually run the factory air conditioning, run the radios, run everything, but they leave an accessory mode and we provide enough 12 volt power to be like a virtual alternator and keep the lead acid mm -hmm. battery up so they can be there for an eight hour job site and not ever start the engine. That sounds oh, good. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds and good. And then I got one, I know one last, I swear, random question. Uh, it, it comes from a user and I forgot to ask, but, um, with the beast mode, you know, they have a option or it's not an option. It's standard for the beast mode where if the battery drops a certain percentage, um, the engine will kick on and then it'll recharge the battery. Well, the people that don't have a beast mode, they're having an issue finding that relay that required, that is required for the Volta. If they buy the mid city, yeah, I think it's mid city engineering part. Um, they still can't, uh, activate the charge without that relay so are you did you discontinue that or how can someone get that it's all got to be designed up front into the vehicle so that's stuff that's designed in if there's that connection wasn't designed into that solution it won't be there okay is that why some some people were able to get that relay and then now they can't i don't know of anybody that would be from us i don't believe anybody would have got the relay um that would be something I'd have to understand because okay. that would be not something because that would be, again, when we do a system, 
we needed to find up front all the variables it's going to be and make sure that system has all the safeties in it. And so the Empower solution, um, you know, we have other customers that do that and we work specifically with them to make it work so that we know that that's going to have an auto start. And yeah. if it didn't originally come with auto start, more than likely it didn't come with that feature enabled. Yeah. I think uh, the cases I know people were sourcing the relay from um, a third party. So they're just trying to find out what that specific, it's a relay, right? A relay part number and trying to, you know, uh, utilize that for the system. So I know some people install the mid cities and then it just doesn't have the auto start feature. So basically they can have a high idle to charge but they have to manually start the vehicle. But then I think there is one or two people out there who've installed the mid city and then a remote start so you could be in your bed if you notice the air conditioner shuts down you remote start the vehicle it starts to idle run the high idle so there's some people getting creative with the workarounds but i think as you're mentioning ideally you want to purchase that up front so that the entire vehicle and the electrical system was built with that in mind for us for a consumer you think about the craziness in today's world right um you know, you don't want anything to go wrong because the first thing to do, somebody's wanting to, you know, sue you and all that's crazy stuff, right? So all this stuff has to be tested, verified, and do the very best to make sure we don't have customers with a bad experience. That's the worst thing. I mean, today's social media, expectations of the consumer, how quick we are to blame and not work through an issue, you know, those things are hard to maintain. So you've got to make sure before you put anything out there, you know, you're giving the best product you can give. Um, to reduce all of those bad things that nobody wants to go through. Um, and so that's where we're, when we design it, we like to know, and we call it a full system, that all of these things are taken care of and we've met the customer's expectations of that particular vehicle. That makes sense. So I like to end every podcast with one question. What does it mean to you to be part of the Stone Nation community? Mostly it's privileged and honored, right? It's so much fun. And those things, I don't know that those seems too shallow, but a lot of people use them the wrong way, but it really is exciting to be a part of people's community that, I mean, you yourself just said how much it's changed the way you use it. You use it every day. So to be a part of people's lives and make their lives better and to enable, enable a lifestyle that couldn't be done because of technology limitations, it's, it's humbling. Um, it's an honor and it's a privilege. It's just so much fun to say, I got to be a part of, doing this and um you know I, don't, I really can't think of anything else better than that at the moment well that's a great way to end the podcast Shaq. i thank you again for your time i know you're a very busy man thank you tim for coming on i know you are also a very busy man um and i hope the listeners well i know the listeners got a lot out of it so thank you again awesome thank you this was a lot of fun good times guys Donation is a production of Park Media. The executive producer is Young Wa Kim. The audio engineer is Steven Grasso. The marketing director is Guillaume Golson. The original music and artists is done by Jason Walsmith. The sound designer is Lorenzo Indriano. And the assistant sound designer is Peng Shi. Without any of these people, this podcast couldn't happen. So a big, huge thank you. And a big, huge thank you to you, the listener. If you like this episode, please don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave a five-star review. This is Young Wah with Stone Nation, and I can't wait to share the road with you.